Welcome to The Common Rounds, medical education for medical students by medical students. A 65-year-old man with a history of hypertension, diabetes, and hyperlipidemia presents to the Accident and Emergency Department with the first episode of rapid palpitations, shortness of breath, and discomfort in his chest. These symptoms started acutely and have been present for four hours. Physical examination shows an irregularly irregular radial pulse at a rate between 90 and 110 beats per minute. The blood pressure is 110 over 70 and the respiratory rate of 20 breaths per minute. The heart sounds are irregular, but you can't hear any S3 or S4 gallop or murmurs. There are no other abnormalities on examination. So what would you do? You can't do a podcast on cardiology without touching arrhythmias. And before I delve into this topic, I have a few recommendations and also disclaimers I'd like to make. Firstly, I'd like to recommend a few resources or textbooks on ECGs and how to read them. I found Hampton's ECG made easy to be quite simple to read and also good to develop an approach to ECGs. The other resource is ABCs of Clinical Electrocardiography, which you can get free online. It was published by the BMJ, and it's actually pretty comprehensive. After all, free is good, right? At this current time, when I'm currently recording this episode, I do not consider myself in any way an expert on reading ECGs, so perhaps just sit back, relax, and think about this episode as more of a discussion amongst colleagues rather than a lecture from a cardiologist. So anyways, that's the disclaimer out of the way. Now let's get into the topic. Today I wanted to talk about atrial fibrillation, the signs and symptoms, the ECG, and the consequences, and also the treatment. The case presented at the very beginning was a fictional case on how a patient could present with AF. And hopefully by the end of this episode, you'll recognize how different aspects of the case's presentation could affect the way we manage the patient. Firstly, let's talk about how atrial fibrillation fits into arrhythmias. So while learning about this topic, I came across an awesome clinical algorithm to approach arrhythmias and piece all the different types of patterns together in a fairly logical way. First of all, you look at the heart rate and to see if it's slow or if it's fast. If it's slow, meaning that it's less than 60 beats per minute, it's called a bradyarrhythmia. If it's fast or greater than 100 beats per minute, it's called a tachyarrhythmia. Atrial fibrillations fall under tachyarrhythmias. The next thing to look at under tachyarrhythmias is the regularity of the QRS complexes. Are the RR intervals occurring at a regular or irregular interval? Atrial fibrillations fall under the irregular category. The final thing to look at is the QRS complex. Is it narrow? Is it meaning that it's less than three small squares? Or is it wide? And as you know, the QRS complex is when the electrical signal conducts through the Hisperkinji system, i.e. in the ventricles. A narrow QRS complex usually means that the ventricular conduction is fine. Conversely, problems with the conduction in the ventricles would lead to a wide QRS complex. So as a rule of thumb, tachyarrhythmias with a narrow QRS complexes are also known as supraventricular tachyarrhythmias, or SVTs. This includes a whole list of different diseases that cause tachycardia that originate above the ventricles. On the other hand, a wide QRS complex tachyarrhythmia are typically ventricular in origin, and thus are known as ventricular tachyarrhythmias. And once again, 
This also includes a few diseases in the ventricles that lead to arrhythmias. But just to make things a little messy, sometimes when SVTs, which usually have narrow QRS complexes, occur in patients with bundle branch blocks, this can cause a QRS complex to widen, so these SVTs actually have wide QRS complexes. So just be careful of that. So to reiterate, atrial fibrillation is a type of supraventricular tachyarrhythmia, so it would present with a fast heart rate beating at an irregular pace and also have typically a narrow QRS complex. Atrial fibrillation is the most commonly sustained arrhythmia typically in patients past the age of 65. There are many causes that lead to the development of atrial fibrillation. The most common cardiac causes are hypertension and congestive heart failure. There can also be non-cardiac related causes such as thyrotoxicosis, alcohol misuse, and rheumatic heart disease. There is a term called lone atrial fibrillation, describing patients younger than the age of 60 years old and in whom no clinical or ECG causes can be found. Atrial fibrillation occurs when there is a continuous and rapid activation of the atria by re-entry wavelets that don't follow the typical conduction pathway. We're talking about 300 to 600 activations a minute. That is really fast. So fast that you can see fine shimmers on the ECG baseline and no P waves. While the atrium muscle can respond to the rapid signals, they cannot contract in a coordinated mechanical fashion. And also, the impulse conductions to the ventricles occur in only a portion of the signals. This is the reason why the heart rate is irregular, because the ventricular contractions are occurring in an irregular fashion. And also, since the atria isn't contracting, on auscultation you should not be able to hear a fourth heart sound. So, what can a patient with atrial fibrillation present like? Some patients present with dyspnea, chest pain, or worsening heart failure. Most patients with ongoing atrial fibrillation experience some deterioration of exercise capacity or well-being. There is also a portion of patients where the atrial fibrillation is picked up as an incidental finding, so they looked pretty much fine. Either way, the patient will have a very irregular pulse with no regular patterns to the irregularity. This is also described as irregularly irregular. We mentioned the typical ECG findings earlier, such as an absence of a P wave, a fine oscillation of the baseline, which is also known as an F wave, rapid and irregular narrow QRS complexes, and also if left untreated, the ventricular rate can sit at around about 120 to 180 beat per minute. The clinical classification of atrial fibrillation can be divided into a few different categories. First detection atrial fibrillation, paroxysmal atrial fibrillation, which means that the atrial fibrillation stops spontaneously within seven days. Persistent atrial fibrillation, when it lasts more than seven days or only terminates on cardioversion, or permanent atrial fibrillation, where it doesn't respond to cardioversion. Interestingly, the longer the patient stays in atrial fibrillation, the more difficult it is to convert back to sinus rhythm, because the atrial structures and the electrophysiology could be remodeled into further promoting atrial fibrillation. So why should we really worry about atrial fibrillation, especially if some people can be asymptomatic? 
Well, one of the reasons is that the lack of atria contractions can lead to areas of blood stasis that promotes blood clotting in the heart. And once this clot gets into the ventricles, this can become an emboli that leads to a stroke or a transient ischemic attack. Another reason is that the irregular ventricular contractions in some cases can lead to suboptimal cardiac output, which can worsen exercise capacity or even heart failure. So how do we manage atrial fibrillation? In terms of acute management, we can try to eliminate the provoking cause, such as hyperthyroidism, alcohol toxicity, or other infections. Then we can try and consider controlling the ventricular rate, and also consider the use of cardioversion. Cardioversion can be done either electrically using a direct current shock, or medically using antiarrhythmic drugs to revert the heart back into sinus rhythm. The commencement of anticoagulants such as warfarin or novel oral anticoagulants, NOACs, depend on how long the atrial fibrillation has been going on. If it started within a day or two, then cardioversion could be commenced without anticoagulants. If it's been going on for more than 48 hours, a longer period of anticoagulants is recommended before cardioversion. When we discuss long-term atrial fibrillation management, there are two terms you would come across rate control and rhythm control. Rate control refers to the use of drugs to slow the heart such as beta blockers, diltiazem and verapamil. Rhythm control refers to the use of antiarrhythmic drugs. The consensus is that neither have a net mortality or symptom benefit over the other, so the treatment strategy kind of depends on each patient. One final thing I wanted to talk about with atrial fibrillation was the use of CHADS VASCOR. This is a scoring system developed to determine if oral anticoagulants are required in atrial fibrillation. Let's start off with the CHADS score. Each letter in the name is an acronym for patient risk factors. C stands for congestive heart failure. H for hypertension. A for age over 75. D for diabetes. S for previous strokes or previous transient ischemic attacks. So of these letters, each letter represents one point, except for S, which represents two, because it's special. So the next step is to tally up the score and see what the total we get is. A CHAD score greater than two implies that oral anticoagulants are needed. If it is less than two, then we'll need to probably do a CHADS VASC score. This scoring system adds on vascular disease, an age group between 65 to 74, and also the female gender. Once again, each factor is one point, except for once again stroke and TIAs, which count for two points. And also now, in this case, when you're doing a CHADS VAS score, the age group 75 will be scored two points, while the age group between 65 and 74 will score one point. Patients with a total score of above two would require oral anticoagulation, one point would mean that either oral anticoagulation or aspirin would be required, and a score of zero means that the patient should not require any antithrombotic prophylaxis. So I think we've covered probably enough for one podcast. Just to recap, we've talked about how atrial fibrillation fits into the clinical approach to arrhythmias. It is a supraventricular tachyarrhythmia that usually has a narrow QRX complex, and an irregular rhythm. Atrial fibrillation presentations vary widely, 
either as asymptomatically or could be dyspnea with worsening heart failure. There is a long list of causes of AF, but typically hypertension and heart failure. ECG findings will not show any P waves and can sometimes instead have fine F wave fibrillations. We talked about the broad aspects of atrial fibrillation management, what rate control and rhythm control are, and how to use the CHADS VAS score to determine anticoagulation. So try do a CHADS VAS score on the case at the very start of the podcast. And what would you do? Would you start anticoagulation? Let us know in the comments. Once again, I'm Andy. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Our episode today was put together by our executive producer, Gautam, and our co-editor, Cindy. For notes, elective experiences, and much more study resources, visit our website on thecommonrounds.wordpress.com or visit us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. If you like our episodes, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It means a lot to us. You've been listening to The Common Rounds. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And we'll see you next time. See you next time.